I want to celebrate last weekend uh, with you guys. We got some photos. I mean, do you see this? Man, we got a picture of the lobby, and, and this is after the 11 o'clock, and, and people just trying to get out. And what I celebrate with you today is that the world wants you to believe that the church is dead, but I believe the church is just getting started. I believe Jesus Christ is still on the move. He still reigns. And as long as we glorify his name, he's going to pour his spirit out among us, and we will see fruit from it. And what we celebrated last week was a whole bunch of people taking their next step. And as many of you know, we are actually in a season where we're taking our next step as a church body, as a family, in that we're making a move. Yeah. It's really exciting stuff, and, and I just wanted to give you a quick update. Man, the project is going great. Uh, we're, we're just blazing, and I, I can't give you firm deadlines by any means, but I really believe we'll be in before Easter a weekend of 2024. Yeah, it's going to be big. And I know so many of you have asked, man, how can you help? And we've talked about it a little bit, but I just want to give you some more specifics. And the obvious is to pray. And I would say, man, pray for us and pray for decisions and all of that. But that's not really what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray for all of the people that are going to walk in this building that don't yet know Jesus. And we're going to believe on their behalf and we're going to stand in the gap for them. And so I want you to be praying for lost people to come to know Christ and for our ability to lead them to Christ and then for our ability to disciple them so that they genuinely become a Christ follower. The second thing you can be doing is you can serve. I know, I know many of you serve so faithfully and so well, and this isn't a cry out of desperation. We have incredible teams that are strong and fortified, but I want you to know you have a specific gift that can reach a specific people that no one else in this house can reach. And we need you using that gift. So sign up and join a team. I promise you it is one of the most important steps to you becoming fully committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to serve within his church. So you can do that digitally through the Connect card. You could find someone with a lanyard on in the lobby and sign up. And then the last thing that we've talked about is to give. You know, when we kicked this project off, we, we knew that we had a goal to raise about a million dollars. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, and if you've been around the house very long, you know, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about money. And so you think about this need to raise a million dollars, and that's a, that's, a, that's a scary thing for a guy in my spot to stand up and say, but here's what's really crazy. Through some outside giving, through folks that you saw in the video, their church is believing, through people that don't even go to this church, hearing about what God's doing and stepping up and sowing seed, through some other things that we've been able to do. I, I, I'm here to tell you that in 30 days, a million became 350,000. So if you wonder, like, is this something that I want to get behind? I'm telling you, this is something you want to get behind. So on December the 3rd, we're all going to come together and we're going to give faithfully, believing that we're going to knock out what is left, what is remaining. And here's what I want you to know. I understand that not everyone can give an equal amount, but I do believe that everyone can give an equal sacrifice. And I know that God multiplies when we match with sacrifice. And I don't say this 
in, in any sort of, of a pointed at me place. I just want you to know that, that Krista and I have given very sacrificially to this. And I say that only so that you know this. We're in it with you. This isn't something that we're saying, if you will do this. No, we're in the fight, locked arm in arm together, believing that our best days are ahead. And we have a really clear goal. It's to make heaven look like that lobby. Right? It's to make heaven crowded. And so on December the 3rd, I'm asking everyone to participate. Not an equal amount, but an equal sacrifice where we come together and we take our next step as a church family because the best is yet to come. Let's pray. Let's get in the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this church, this people, God, believing genuinely that our best days are ahead of us, not behind us, believing that you're just getting started in all that it is that you want to do in and through this house. What an honor it is to get to see you move tangibly on this earth. We give you praise and thanksgiving as Christ. And we say it all, and everybody said a great big. We kicked off a message series last week called Battlegrounds where we're talking about spiritual warfare but specifically the battleground of our mind and we kicked it off from the premise that our thoughts are like trains. They take us somewhere and you cannot have a positive, you cannot live a positive life with a negative mind or a negative mindset. And we looked in Romans 8 verses 5 and 6 where the apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome and he says this. Those who live according to the flesh, everyone say flesh. flesh, according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live according, in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. In 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5, we see another writing from the Apostle Paul, and he says this, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power To demolish strongholds, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and to Christ's word. I remember being a kid, and one of my favorite things to do was to, to play with my, my, little, my army figurines. Like, I would spend hours, like, building fortresses and setting them up and imagining what was going on. And to everyone's surprise, I was really serious as a kid. I mean, I took, like, this was serious business. This was not just playtime, right? Don't come in and touch my army men. Like, I, I'm, there's strategery going on in my bedroom at 7, you know? And I took it serious because I wanted to win. And then you're thinking, weren't you just competing against yourself? Yes, and I wanted to beat me. I wanted to win at everything that I did, so I took it serious. And we talk about the battleground of our mind, and it's easy for that to just be like almost this cliche concept that we put on the back burner of like, I don't know, is that of importance? But when you actually look at the language that Paul is using, he's highlighting that this is war. He's highlighting that, like, you've you got to get ready. 
You've got to take serious the battleground of your mind to live in the plans that, as we studied last week, God prepared for you long ago. They're waiting for you to get your mind right. There's a militant nature to the words that Paul is using. He says that you are to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. That you are to demolish strongholds. And I remember hearing about strongholds in the church when I was growing up as a kid. And I had a difficult time understanding what a stronghold really was. And how it interceded or intersected with my day-to-day life. And so today I just want us to talk from this perspective. A stronghold is a negative pattern of thinking. It's the pattern of thinking that is negative in your mind that has become so ingrained that it leads you to negative habits. It leads you down negative pathways, down negative trails, down negative relationships, into negative conversations. It's the negative pattern of thinking that grabs a hold of your mind so strongly that you have a difficult time shaking it. And we have to understand that Paul is saying you as a believer in Christ Jesus, have an ability to demolish these strongholds because your mind is the battleground for a positive life. And I need you to see, and I pray that you see, that you have the ability to demolish those strongholds. But what about when bad things happen? It's easy to talk about having a positive mind when things are going well. And when it feels like we're winning, but what do we do when something bad begins to happen? I want us to look at a scripture, and I believe we can pull some principles out of it that help us win the battle in our mind, even when things seem negative. It's found in Mark chapter 5, verses 36 through 43. And Jesus is on the move in his ministry, and he's doing some incredible things. And there's this guy by the name of Jairus, and Jairus' daughter is 12, and she is dead. And out of pure desperation, Jairus runs to Jesus, and he asks Jesus to help him out in this moment. And in Mark chapter 5, 36 through 43, we see part of the story unfolding. It says this, overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, this is Jairus' home, Jesus saw a commotion. Everybody say commotion. That's churchy term for a hot mess, a dumpster fire. Jesus saw a commotion and with people crying and wailing loudly. So Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at Jesus. What do you see that Jesus has just walked into a battleground? It's death versus life. It's chaos versus peace. It's faith versus doubt that's going on in real time as Jesus walks into this scenario. And then it says this, after they laughed at him, it says this. After Jesus put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went into the, where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. 
Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And then he gave them strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. When I see this picture and I imagine being present in this moment, I cannot think of a more dire circumstance that a father would experience than knowing that his 12-year-old little girl was dead. And in pure desperation, but in absolute faith, Jairus steps out and he tracks Jesus down, not on Life 360, but like he had to get out and physically go to Jesus. There are times in your life when the only thing you know to do is get to Jesus, to settle down in the commotion. And I want you to see how good Jesus is. Jairus comes to him, and Jesus is busy in this moment. Like he's healing this lady that's been bleeding for years, and there's crowds of people around, and there's places he needs to go, and there's messages he needs to preach, and there's leadership he needs to impart. Yet scripture tells us that Jesus went in. He went into the home of Jairus. Upon invitation, Jesus went in. Do you know that you and I, as believers in Christ Jesus, have an ability to go into commotion and chaos and bring life and joy and peace and strength? And this has so much to do with the battleground of our mind because I know the moment that you feel like you should go in and you should be the positivity, that you should engage in the warfare of life versus death, we very naturally begin to think, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I've messed up, you don't know my shame, you don't know my guilt, you don't know my past actions, you don't know my inability, you don't know my insecurity, you don't know the mess that I made all of which are negative thoughts. All of which are thoughts of the enemy where he is using them to win the battleground of your mind because the enemy knows that when the church begins to go into the places of chaos and commotion, that the church takes with it the power of Christ Jesus, which has no rival and no equal, as we just sang about. Jesus went in and he's illustrating to you and me that we have an opportunity to be life and peace in a broken and in a dark world. But Jesus didn't just go in. Jesus spoke life in the chaos. He shows up in this moment and he says, hey, why, why, why is everybody crying? Why, why is everybody so worked up? I, I can imagine being there and you just... You, I mean, this sounds bad to say, but I mean, you just want to smack Jesus, right? Like, what do you mean, why are we upset? Like, she's dead, dude. Like, this is not good. These are not not great times. And he's like, oh, no, listen, I got this. I know what to do in this moment. I know how to operate in this moment. He says, why all the commotion? She's not dead. She's just sleeping because the power of life has walked into the room. Jesus spoke positive words because he was positive that he had the power and authority to raise her from the dead. 
last week we began to break down how we increase our faith. And the reason that we were breaking down how we increase our faith is because if you're going to live a life that is positive, you have to be positive in the power of the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And when you become positive that he rose from the dead, your life will get more positive. Never allow the noise of the enemy to be greater than the life of Christ. And when life feels like it's coming apart and everything isn't going well, it's easy to allow the noise of the enemy to become greater than the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. So we take ourselves, we take our minds back to the cross And back to the empty tomb, which is where we find our strength. So as we talked about last week, we have to know the word of God well enough to compare the words of the world against God's word. It's how we process our faith. It's how we come into being. And I really believe this. Jesus spoke into the chaos of this situation. And we as the church have an opportunity to speak into the chaos of this world. There's a phrase that silence is deafening. Silence is deafening, and people need to hear life spoken, but they can't hear what you won't speak. My mind was blown as I was preparing this message series, and there are recent studies that show that 82% of people polled were at least somewhat likely to attend church if invited by a friend. 82% of non-church attenders said they were at least somewhat likely to attend if invited by a friend. That's actually really encouraging. The same study showed that only 2% of believers in Christ were willing to invite someone. What that tells me is that when the church blames a lack of increase on the world, we've got it all wrong. The harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. And you and I have an opportunity to speak this simply. Will you come to church with me? Would you be willing to step into church and That's an invitation to life, new life in Christ. It's an invitation to a journey that will lead people down a new path and a new trajectory. See, the church is not limited by the world, but the world is becoming limited by the church's unwillingness to take a step of faith that says, will you join me on this journey? And I believe that many of us feel this way because we go, but look at all the commotion. And look at all of the chaos. And look at all of the unsettledness. I know, they need Jesus. Because guess what? My life's full of commotion and chaos too. And I want people to be on a journey with us, but we have to be willing to speak as Jesus spoke. Here's what's really wild about it. When you start inviting people to church, it will feel like you always invite the 18% that's unwilling to come. But invitation often has a delayed result. 
Sometimes it takes years. There, there are Sundays when I will see someone walk in that I met with before we ever launched, and they'll walk in for the first time six years later. Just a seed planted, right? Waiting to be cultivated and waiting to grow. And you're like, what does this have to do with the battleground of my mind? It has everything to do with the battleground of your mind because your unwillingness to share in the good news of Jesus Christ gives the enemy a stronghold in your mind. One of the ways that you take captive, that you demolish the strongholds in your mind is by stepping out and inviting people into new life in Christ Jesus, into an opportunity to very genuinely walk with him. You know, when Paul writes these words that we, we demolish the arguments and we take captive, that what's going on in the church in Corinth is there's actually, there, there's false doctrine that's spreading among the church. And Paul is like, mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. We're not letting any of that junk in, right? Like, we're going to cast out what needs to be cast out so that we can invite in those that we need to invite in. Like, this, this is big, important powerful stuff, and because we believe in the power and authority of God's word, we invite people. We speak life, and in speaking life, we hear life, and when we hear life, we receive life, and when we receive life, our mind begins to change, and we begin to win the battleground of our mind. I love this too. Jesus went in, and Jesus spoke. It's important to know that Jesus spoke with spiritual authority. Paul tells us that, hey, we're not waging war in the traditional concept that we think about and we know that Jesus spoke with spiritual authority because this isn't Jesus' home. It's Jairus' home, and Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus has no positional authority in Jairus' home. So when he speaks up and he says, why is everyone, I, why, why is everybody crying? Everybody calm down here for just a moment. Jesus is speaking from a place of spiritual authority that causes everyone to just pause for a moment. And, and I want to note that authority is confidence, not obnoxiousness. And one of the reasons that I think we hesitate to go into chaotic situations or to speak or to create invitation is because oftentimes invitation gets associated with obnoxiousness. Because oftentimes the church was really good at being obnoxious. I get it. But I want you to think about this. Do you ever get like an invitation to someone's wedding and you open it up and you think, I don't want to go to that. <laughs> be honest, all right? We're trying to be, we're, we're being honest here, you know? You get it and you think like, oh, man. Like, it was none of y'all's wedding that I ever thought that about, all right? Take a deep breath, Okay. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, all right? You get that invitation. Maybe for you it's a birthday party. I don't know what it is. But you get the invitation and you're like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But you never throw the invitation away. You like hang it on the fridge. You mark it on the calendar. You think about it. You process it. And even if you never want to go, here's what I found. In moments of reflection, you see the invitation, and it takes you to this place where you're like, I don't want to go, but I appreciate that they valued me enough to include me. I appreciate that they valued me enough to invite me. See, when you step out and you begin to speak your faith, what you have to do is come at it from a place of spiritual authority, a confidence that says, even though they may not want to go, 
they'll recognize that I valued them enough to invite them. And that's a seed well planted. That's a seed planted well enough that I'm willing to step out of my comfort into the chaos and speak it out loud because I believe in the transformative power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean. Don't give weak invitation. Give strong, confident invitation. Expressing what God has done in your life and inviting people into a really imperfect church, into a really imperfect place that simply declares the perfection of our Savior. And when you do that, what happens is it's received differently. And even if they never come, they see that you value them and they know that the church really is doing what the church says the church is going to do, which is love people. Jesus spoke with this authority, and I think it's really important that that, that we understand the concept uh, of what's happening here in this moment. I remember when Kristen and I first got married, a bug got in the house. Now, notice I said a, meaning one, meaning singular. Okay, I, I don't mean like a swarm. I don't. I don't mean like the the apocalypse of bug. I mean a single bug, non poisonous, small, not harmful, not overly scary. A bug, and the next thing I know, she wants to move. And I'm, I'm newly married, right, in this moment, and I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, man, I don't know. The last seven years I've been in school, and I lived in some real roach-infested places. Like, this house is pretty good, but I thought to myself, you know what? This is my house. Ain't no bug going to live in my house. You know what I'm saying? Mm-mm. I'm the man of this house, and there's only room for one of us, and it's not you, little bug. I learned so much about spraying for bugs to this day. We don't pay anyone to do pest control at our house. I mean, I am a bug-fighting, wielding fool. Like, if you get a bug in your house, call me. (laughs) I recognize, like, no, no, this is my house. And I'm not going to let a bug remove me from my house. I'm going to stand in this moment in a confidence that I can figure out what's going on. And many of us are terrified to go into anything that looks remotely chaotic because we lack the confidence of our spiritual authority to walk into the chaos and speak life and speak hope and allow Christ to work in and through us in a lost and dying world. But when we go into the chaos, we open our mouths and we speak what we believe, knowing that that is enough. It doesn't require great eloquence or understanding or transitions. It simply requires a simple obedience to the gospel to go forth and say, you know what, I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. Here's what I mean. If you want a life of spiritual authority, like you want to be able to declare, no, this is my house, and I know what I believe, you're going to have to go all in on Jesus. We have sold a costless Christianity. And I want to draw a a line for us here as we talk about this because I don't want there to be chaos or confusion. Salvation comes through faith and faith alone. You, You are made right with God the Father when you simply believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life and that is a free gift. But from that moment on, you have a choice to make. 
am I going to live in the free gift and take advantage of it, or am I going to live in the free gift by living in the cost of the free gift? And we've sold a costless Christianity, which leads to a powerless Christianity. And when I say Christianity, what I mean is actually following Christ. Not just declaring that he's the savior of my life. I mean literally getting up every day and dying to yourself and taking up your cross and following him. And when you do it, it will cost you something. Jairus gave up his own authority in his house so that Jesus could reign. And in doing so, Jairus received a benefit greater than he could achieve on his own. Jairus could have invited Jesus in. And the moment Jesus came in and said, hey, why is everybody crying? She's not dead. He could have said, hey, hey, I speak in my house. I don't let the bugs in. I'm in control here. But that's not what scripture says. Jairus went to Jesus, and when he invited Jesus in, he handed Jesus the keys to all the authority in his home. And he said, you know what? It's your house now, Jesus. And in doing so, his little girl was raised from the dead. He received access to power greater than himself. And we've got to give Jesus the keys to our house. We lose battleground, the fight, the war in our mind when we live half in and half out because we expose ourselves to a tug of war that is constantly pulling and creating tension on us rather than saying, you know what? I know the answer and I want you to have the keys and when I truly commit, I give up my authority, my right, my identity all to follow the one. We're in a period of inflation, in case you didn't know. <laughs> it's a big news flash. And I'm a nerd, so I read a lot. And one of the things that always fascinates me is this concept called shrinkflation. And so shrinkflation is when the seller of goods gives you less to compensate for the rising cost. Like, have you ever noticed that the bag size of your potato chips is not as big as it once was. That's often done in an attempt to keep the cost the same or reduce the increase in price in hopes that you and I are too dumb to notice. It's called shrinkflation, where they shrink how much they give you to, because the cost of the goods has gotten so high. And I believe that we live in a time where we can be suspect to shrink faithion. It's not a real word. <laughs> but we made it one. When it starts costing more, I'll just give less. When my next step begins to cost a little more than I want to pay... You know what I'll do? I'll just give a little bit less and I hope that no one notices. And when you do that, you know what you're doing? It's a stronghold. It's a stronghold in your mind that you are giving up, that you're letting go of and saying, you know what? The enemy can win on that one. But we have an opportunity to say, you know what? I don't care what the cost. I don't care what it costs me. I'm fully committed. 
I'm all in to following Christ and making heaven crowded. So I want to give you just a few things real quick that I pray will help you as you fight the battle in your mind. The first thing is this. I want you to see. Jesus removed the distraction. Did you notice in that passage it said he comes in and he's like, why is everybody crying? Because they're, 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 they're going nuts. They laugh at him. And the very next verse says, after Jesus put them all out. He said, laugh all you want. You're going to laugh on the outside. I'm going to remove the distraction in this moment because I've got some work to do. It's really important that we learn to remove the distraction. Because you don't have to find negative thoughts, they find you. But you have to be intentionally positive. They didn't have to find a negative circumstance in the house of Jairus in this moment. That circumstance found them. The negative thoughts found them. And Jesus in this moment is like, you know what, I'm going to remove the distraction because I'm going to be intentionally positive. Why are you crying? She's not dead, she's just asleep. I know that I have authority here in this moment. You ever been to a t-ball game? I'm talking old school t-ball, not the fair friendly stuff. You know the hey, bada 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 hey, bada bada hey, bada swing, bada swing, bada right. I mean, five year olds just heckling one another. It's glorious. I mean, it's just trash talking at a five year old level, right? Sanction trash talk among five-year-olds and I remember the first time I played t-ball and I'm like what is this nonsense and foolishness like what is going on here and I remember having to learn to remove the distraction I had to block it out like no one was going to make them be quiet when I was five I think they might make them be quiet now they didn't they didn't when I was five you could act a fool you say whatever you want they could talk about your mama so you had to Learn to block out the distraction. You know what the enemy does? He chatters all the time through negativity and negative thoughts. And I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. God's not going to meet me here. They're going to say no. I don't know what's next. I don't have enough money. I'm not pretty enough. I don't have the right outfit. I'm going to be late. I, I just don't have room in my schedule. I can't make it fit. I don't know. All of the negative thoughts find you. And it's just chatter in your mind. And so you have to learn to remove the distraction because guess what? The chatter isn't going to stop. In fact, they just go from 5 and then they become 12 and they start using other words when they talk smack. And then they become 18 and, oh, it all falls apart till they're 30. It's just the noise. And so you and I, Jesus is modeling it. We have to learn to remove the distractions so that we can get really focused on what genuinely matters, the work that God's called us to. And in doing so, we have to do this. We see it in Jesus. Jesus didn't let criticism deter him. And you can't let criticism deter you, deter you in your journey, your journey toward Christ. You can't let criticism of those beat you down. You've got to stay the past, stay committed, stay faithful, stay true. My youngest son, he's six, and he wanted to play football this year. He, he didn't start yet, but as a result, he's just, he likes to play catch with his older brother all the time, right? And so we started this football season back in the summer, and, and Ben, man, he'd start playing, and we'd throw him the football, and he'd drop it every time. 
So we named him Benny Stonehands. We chatter at my house. Teach him how to block out the distraction. I'm just getting him ready for war. Old Benny Stonehands. I mean, we'd throw him the ball, he'd drop that. Old Benny Stonehands on the move. Well, this past week, man, Ben and Collier, they come running into my room. Literally running. And Collier has a real football. And he's like, Ben learned how to catch. I'm like, no, he didn't. And they get, I mean, 15 feet from one another in my room. And Collier throws it as hard as he can at Ben. And Ben catches it. And I'm like, do that again. He does it again. I mean, he throws it as hard as he can throw it at Ben. And Ben catches it. And I looked at him. And I said, oh, my gosh. He goes, yeah, you can't call me Benny Stonehands anymore. I said, no, you done graduated. And he begins to do the gritty, and he says, and I got a scholarship. <laughs> I thought, man, what a powerful example. He didn't let the chatter from his brother and his own dad <laughs> deter him from what he wanted to be committed to, which was learning how to play ball. Now he blocked that noise out. He learned how to catch the football, and he showed up and he said, not today, Satan. And you and I got to get ourselves to a place where rather than letting the chatter be the thing that we're constantly focused on, we look to the goodness of Jesus Christ. We're intentionally positive, focused on him and saying, you know what? I may not be good at it today, but I'm going to keep working on it because I know that God has great plans for me. Two more things, moving fast. To really make all of this happen, to block out the distraction, to be able to go in and speak life and do all that, you got to do this. First thing is you have to keep your head. You got to keep your head. 2 Timothy 4 and 5, Paul's writing a letter to a young minister of the day, and he says this, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Don't get distracted. Keep your head. Don't let the chatter weigh you down. Keep your head. Stay focused on what God's called you to. And I'm not saying that we don't get stressed or fret or worry or fearful, but we keep our head in all of it. And in doing so, we demolish the strongholds. We take captive every thought. We make our mind obedient to God's word. And we're intentionally positive in the midst of a chaotic and negative world. And the second thing is this, we have to think right. Philippians 4 and 8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Leave that up for me if you would. Think about. Think about what? Back it up for me if you would, guys. What are we thinking about in this moment? Like, like, what is our instruction? We're to think about what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely.
Paul's giving us instructions very clearly. He's like, no, no, no. We don't think about all of that chaotic mess. We think about what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. That's where we fix our mind. That's where we fix our focus. That's how we keep our head. That's how we win the battleground of our mind. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we praise you. We thank you. We lift you up in this place. And God, I pray that you would just continue to have your way, that this would be a place that simply declares the gospel, that this would be a place that has open arms to those that are far from you, that this would be a place where people would find salvation, and that this would be a church that would be committed to taking people from receiving the precious gift of grace into a real relationship with Jesus, fully committed to following you, to building your kingdom, to seeing kingdom come in and through their lives. Lord, we give you all of the praise, all of the honor, all of the thanksgiving, and everybody in the house said a great big.